Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. I'm Christy Anderson. If you'd like more information about this or other teachings, go to foritiswritten.com. Again, that's foritiswritten.com. We're going into session five of a six-part series on the message of Galatians from an ancient Hebraic perspective. And last, uh, in session four, we discussed the idea of works of law and what that meant. And now we're, Paul will now be transitioning to use the phrase under law. And granted, this is a highly abused term these days. I'll give you an example of how it's typically used that is inconsistent with how Paul uses it and how it's used and, and how he frames the meaning in Galatians. For example, you might have a, two friends, Jan and Susan, and they're speaking to each other, and, and Jan is eager to share with Susan some new things she's learning. And she says, Wow, Susan, we've been keeping the Sabbath for three months now, and it's such a blessing. Susan responds, why do you want to go back under the law? Don't you know that is going back under condemnation? So Susan's assumption here is that literal obedience to God's commandments should somehow be considered being under law, that this is a bad thing that you would actually literally keep the fourth commandment. Now, why is that a false premise? Well, keeping the other nine commandments is not considered under law, generally by, probably by Susan and our example, and, and most people in general. But why is literal obedience to only some commandments considered being under law where others are not? This is inconsistent. How, also, did Paul himself define the term under law, then? We need to look at this. A few things about under law that we need to understand as we get started, and we're going to look at each phrase in which Paul uses the phrase under law, um, is that it is only, this phrase is only used by Paul himself in scripture. It was first used in Galatians 3.23. The article, the, under the law, is not in the Greek. It only says in the Greek, under law. It does not say under the law. And having the article there can certainly prejudice how we would view the meaning of that phrase, particularly in different contexts. Now, there are eight total uses, five in Galatians, two in Romans, and one in 1 Corinthians. Romans 2.12 and 3.19 are not, I repeat, not the same word for under in the sense of under law, as the other instances uh, noted of the eight uses we're going to go over. Um, some of your English translations put and translate the word under law in Romans 2.12 and 3.19, but it's a different Strong's word. It means in, in law or in union with law. So it does not mean under. It, it possibly could, but it's not the same Greek term 
And so Paul is using it and applying it in a different context. And if we analyze those, you'd see that as well. We don't have time to get into that, but you can look up that on your own. Now, if we did a chart, and granted this is radio, so you can't see my PowerPoint, but if we do a chart here and we have option one with Susan's typical Christian assumption and Jan's uh, consistent uh, with Paul's understanding of the situation between under law and under grace, what would someone do? Would you, in Susan's opinion, because she's saying you're keeping the Sabbath, you're literally obeying the law, so obeying the Torah, that would be under law. So the opposite of that would be under grace, which would be to disobey this, the Torah, which would make her assumption uh, require us to say under grace means you sin. And so that's obviously untenable. And she doesn't mean that, but that would be the situation, the way she's applying it. And Paul and Jan's assumption then is that to sin is to be under law, to disobey Torah to be in your flesh is to be under law, whereas to be under grace is the ability to obey because you've received the grace of God. And to enjoy that, as Jan, in our example, was doing. Now, the first use of under law, as I said, is in Galatians 3, 22 through 23. And we're going to see how at the beginning in 22, he uh, Paul defines it as under sin first, and then begins to say under law, under law. So in the same sentence, we're going to see that and we're going to stop before we get to the under law phrase, but we're going to analyze this as we go. So as it begins in verse 22, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says, but the Torah imprisoned or restricted everyone under, and that under is under obligation to or the control of sin. So before we go on, we need to understand what does this mean? The Torah defined sin. It was ratified into law at Mount Sinai. This puts the uh, this put the laws as, as you you know all the laws on the books, so to speak, such that everyone could be held then liable in the heavenly court for their actions against God and against man. So that's that's something important we need to understand. Everyone is under sin. So Romans five fourteen says death reigned. From Adam to Moses. Now, why would it say Adam to Moses? Why wouldn't it say, you would assume it would say Adam to Christ. But Romans 5.13 says, For until the law, or until Torah was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed. And that word imputed just means counted against someone when there is no Torah. Now, so why not Adam to Christ? Well, the giving of the Torah, God's law, stopped the reign of death. Now, and that's what he says. Well, why or how would that be? Well, it revealed the definition of sin. It revealed the gospel preached to Abraham. It enabled the legal framework for the promise to be given. And it reveals all truth so that we may walk in truth and righteousness. If you remember, there was a lady who disguised herself as a teenage boy on the internet. And she harassed a young girl, a teenage girl, who later committed suicide as a direct result of this woman's actions against her. There was no law on the books against disguising yourself as a teenage boy. To, so although everyone knew um, that a sin had occurred, because there was no Torah, no law against what this woman had done on the books, she could not be held accountable for her action. So there was no law. There can be 
uh, no sin. Now, it wasn't that there was no sin involved. Clearly, she was responsible. But because there was no law in the books to prosecute her, she could not be held accountable. And that's what happened at Mount Sinai. That's why at the time of Moses, death reigned until Moses, because once the law was given and ratified at Mount Sinai, now the heavenly court could convene. Now that heavenly court has not convened yet, of course. That will happen in the future. But that's why that verse is stated in that manner. So our, the, the important thing we need to understand as we, as we are born under sin is that our relationship to the Torah, to the law, changes after justification. And that is the side of the sword or the coin, that, that two-edged sword that is not discussed in the church. Under law means being under sin. The Torah remains stone outside, uh, written on stone outside of us. But when we come under grace, that Torah, that word made flesh, that Messiah made flesh and dwelling inside of us, the living Torah is written on our heart. So people like Susan in our example often overlook this important distinction. Now we're going to go back to that first example. But the Torah, he said, imprisoned or restricted everyone under sin, okay, under the obligation of the control of sin. So that the promise to Abraham might be given to those, those being Jews and non-Jews who believe. But before the faith, and the article there, the, is there, i.e. Messiah, before the faith, meaning Messiah, came, we, Jew and non-Jew, were kept in custody under law, being closed up together until the faith, which was later to be revealed. So a summary of this first instance of under law is a time before faith comes. Okay, It's literally applicable in this context in, as a time before faith comes. Paul and the Galatians, Jew and non-Jew, all were literally under law before Messiah was revealed to them. That would be the literal application. And Paul has established that God, through the vehicle of the Torah, placed all men under sin. All men could now be held accountable in the heavenly court for their actions. Sin existed, but until the Torah was ratified at Mount Sinai, the heavenly court could not convene to prosecute the people. When Torah was given at Mount Sinai, this enabled God's justice to be executed yet further still. So before faith comes, we, Jew and non-Jew, are all in custody of or bound in or under obligation to sin. So our flesh, in other words, has control. This is what it means to be under law. It's to be under the control of your flesh. Our flesh has control. But when the fullness of time came, so we're going to now jump into Galatians 4, 4 and 5, where it's the second and third use of the term under law. And Paul says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, the heir, of course, born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under law, that we... Jew and non-Jew might receive the adoption as sons, or in other words, become co-heirs with him. So in, in the second and third use, Paul has established that under law means born of a woman or born human. It is the natural human condition when we are born of the flesh as sons of Adam. He's going to uh, tie that together with the first mention 
uh, under law. So if we if we combine these, we see that that is the definition applies under law applies to all human beings, both circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and non-Jew alike, in are under law before faith. Before faith, that that's the situation. The context then is Paul's emphasis uh, is in this context on the humanity of Messiah who came in human flesh under law or in the condition of all men. In other words, it's talking about that humanity the, um, in human flesh that dies because of Adam's sin. So Messiah came in the actual human flesh. Now our fourth use is Galatians 4.21. And it says, tell me you, misguided Galatians, obviously here, who desire to be judged under law, obviously rather than by grace, do you not listen to the Torah? So this verse um, is, in, is an introduction to Paul's key allegory in chapter 4. And that allegory describes two methods of birth, resulting in or producing two different Jerusalems, metaphorically, with two very different outcomes. And so understanding that metaphor and, and that allegory, and we're going to go in that, uh, into a de detail on that in the next lesson, um, is very important here in understanding this. So the two Jerusalems are born of different means. There's the present earthly unbelieving Jerusalem, born by flesh alone. They are in bondage or slavery, and they will be cast out. And then there is the believing heavenly Jerusalem above that is free, that will inherit. So when Paul asks the rhetorical question, why the Galatians want to be under law, the point he's making is explained in the allegory. However, the statement implies the idea of being judged under law versus being judged under grace or being judged based on one's own merit rather than based on the faith um, or Messiah's merit on the faith the faith being shown in the life and person and work of Messiah. So the conclusion of the allegory then are those birthed via the flesh alone, like those presently persecuting the Galatians, that will be cast out or what we'd consider not saved. And whereas those who are born via the spirit, according to the promise, will be part of the Jerusalem above. So there's two different Jerusalems there. Now this fourth use, as I said, um, so when Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under law, do you not listen to the Torah? He's saying, if you actually listened, or if they actually listened, they would know those birthed by means of the flesh alone get cast out in the end. So Ishmael versus Isaac. Um, both are sons of Abraham. Both are circumcised in their flesh, but one is born via the flesh and one is born via or according to the spirit. The Torah teaches the one who is born of the flesh is cast out. And that's Paul's point. Now, the fifth use we have here is Galatians 5.18. It says, but if you Galatians are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So there's a question then. Does someone who is led by the Spirit obey God's Torah or disobey God's Torah? 
Now, Susan felt that disregarding the fourth commandment was being led by the spirit and falsely taught that the fourth commandment itself is bondage. So God's word is equated with bondage rather than sin, which is the true bondage. Thus, Paul's or Paul asks in Romans, is the law or Torah sin? God forbid, he says. So Jan understood rightly being led by the spirit means obeying God's commands because one is freed from sin or the bondage of their flesh and empowered via the Holy Spirit to obey God, which is to obey the Torah rather than one's flesh. So again, in this uh, Galatians 5.18, this fifth use, it says, but if you Galatians are led by the spirit, you are not, you are not under law. So Paul is saying, if the spirit of God controls you, you are not under law or under condemnation, Romans 8.1, or under sin, Galatians 3.22 or Romans 3.9. Okay, so the evidence of being led by the spirit is that you're not under law and it's evidenced by the ability to obey the Torah from a heart of faith. So it's an what, what Paul would call an obedience of faith. Now, the sixth and seventh use are found in Romans 6, 14 and 15. If we start with Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Therefore, the opposite is also true. When you are under law, sin is master over you. The key point here is who is master over you? Is it sin or a violation of Torah? Are, are you under law? Are you a sinner? Or is the Holy Spirit master over you? you? Are you under grace? Are you the righteous who can live by faith in faithfulness and thus have the ability to obey Yeshua's Torah instructions from a heart of faith? Now, verse 15, he says again, What then? Shall we sin or violate Torah because we are not, quote, under law, but under grace? May it never be, he says. Continuing verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, i.e. obeying your flesh resulting in death, or of obedience, i.e. obeying God's Torah, resulting in righteousness. So from this verse, we see again that being under law means sin is your master or has control over you. You are obligated to sin. Whereas being under grace means sin no longer has control of you. You are no longer obligated to your flesh, to habitual sin. You are able to obey the master, which means obey Yeshua's Torah instructions. And this results in righteousness and sanctification, just as it is said of Abraham. But we are not earning our salvation. We are receiving grace and producing the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, when we talk about obedience to Torah, we are not talking about justification. We're talking about sanctification and the fruits of the Spirit. And this is very important. Now, our eighth use and final use is 1 Corinthians 
and it says, To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under law, or i.e. the unbelieving proselyte, as under law, or as a proselyte. Though not being myself under law, he was not himself a proselyte, so that I might win those who are under law, or who are proselytes. Now, under law here is specifically connected to circumcision without Messiah in his example. So that's important to understand. And it goes to the larger context uh, that we've been studying this whole time. Again, under law is applied to a non-believer in Messiah who is not a native-born Jew, but has obligated himself most naturally from this context as a proselyte. So please understand the distinction. A proselyte obligates himself to keep Torah, but has no way of keeping it without Messiah. See Romans 8. He remains under law or bound to sin. So as we wrap up this part of the teaching, this part of under law, what this means, we understand that it is a condition of all men who are born of Adam, whether they're circumcised in the flesh or not. It's, they're born human. If you're born human, then you are born in a state that is considered under law. And you, if you sin, you will die. That is what it means. Now, it also means being without Messiah. So you are essentially judged on your own merit. You are not judged on the merit of Messiah, but you are judged on your own merit. Since you're under law and since you are a sinner, that means only death and condemnation. So if you were judged on Messiah's merit, then you would have life, of course. A third element of under law that we've seen then is that under law implies disobedience to the Torah. Not obedience, but disobedience to the Torah. So it's a position before faith comes. That's very important. It's a before faith position. You don't want to go back to a before faith position. And that's what Paul's asking. Why would you want to go back to being under law? Meaning you're going to be required to go on your own merit, not through faith. And, and uh, it's not going to be based on faith. It's going to be based on your own merit. That is not a position you want to be in. And it's a position of slavery to sin and the flesh. Sin, of course, being lawlessness or Torahlessness, 1 John 3, 4. Finally, under law is a position where a person cannot submit himself to the Torah of God, Romans 8, 7, even if one wanted to. So if we go back to our original chart, uh, we saw that Susan's position of the idea of obeying the Torah being under law, which would require disobeying the Torah or sin being the act of a person under grace, is completely untenable. Whereas Paul and Jan's understanding is that to sin and to walk in the flesh is to be and put yourself under law. Whereas to be under grace means you can be freed from sin and through Messiah, and you are enabled to obey his word. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. That's what he said. And that produces the fruits of the spirit. Now, if the sinner 
if we wanted to compare the sinner and the righteous, we see that under law is born under sin, where you're born again when you're under grace and you're under righteousness. If you're under law, you're under condemnation. But if you're under grace, there's no longer, you are no longer under condemnation. If you are under law, you are obligated to sin. But if you are under grace, you're obligated to righteousness. If you're under law, you cannot obey the Torah. And if you are under grace, you can obey the Torah. If you are under law, you are under the works of the flesh. But if you are under grace, you engage in works by faith. If you are under law, you are under the control of men. But if you are under grace, you are under the control of God by the Holy Spirit. If you're under law, you're obligated to the flesh. But if you're under grace, you're obligated to God's Torah instructions, to his word. If you're under the law, you're disobedient to the Torah. But if you're under grace, you're able and enabled to obey the Torah. As we've seen, being under law is not mean obedience to the word of God, but rather disobedience to the Torah, disobedience to the word of God, and therefore under sin and under condemnation. We're out of time. Find us at forwardiswritten.com. It is written.com. It is written.com.